Now, I'm ready for a miracle up in this place this morning. Amen? <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Thank goodness it's not against the law to have a good time in the Lord's house. Amen? Whoo, have mercy. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. We'll start reading John 1, verse 35. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? And before I go further, let me, uh, I know Ken is, at a, is over at Mason Creek, but remember Ken Jones, uh, uh, Brother Ronnie has to take him down on Friday and then go back on Monday. I think he's got two more times of that uh, treatment there for that cancer. So remember Ken and, and Ronnie as they travel uh, in Houston and everything, and then uh, God cure him. I, I know many of you know Ken over here, so I want to be sure and, and mention him. Beginning in verse 35, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, I didn't do that justice. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. That's what he said. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. Lord, how we've been blessed. I pray that these next few moments would be no exception. Lord, would you fall fresh on this place. We need a fresh touch from you this morning. In our church, in our country, in our state, in our homes. Lord, we need you more than ever before. And I praise you. And I pray this congregation will praise you because you inhabit those who praise you. So help us to praise you, walk by faith, trust you're going to do a great work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A new preacher came into town, and he stopped a man on the sidewalk, and he said, friend, uh, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jones. The Christians live about three blocks down the road. He said, well, no, you didn't get what I understand. Uh, you know, are you lost? He said, no, I'm not lost. I've been, been in this neighborhood here all my life. I know exactly where I am. He said, no, you still don't understand what I mean. He said, are you ready for the judgment day? The man looked at the preacher and he said, well, when is the judgment day? He said, well, it could be today or tomorrow. The guy looked at the preacher and said, well, when you find out, you let me know because my wife will want to go both days. Now, in these, in these last days that we're living in, I'll let that soak in just a minute so everybody can catch up there. I believe we're living in last days. Now, listen to me. I don't believe we're living in last days because of what's going on in America. Don't ever get to the place where you're so egomanic and arrogant that you think the whole world sets on the United States of America. I love America, 
But I want to tell you, America's got 360 million people, and there are more than 8 billion people in the world. So when I say I believe Jesus is coming, I believe the signs are evident everywhere, not just here. You say, well, he's got to come here. This country's gotten so bad. No, this country could be in slavery. You say, oh, no, bro. Well, read your Bible. It could be. We don't know what's going to happen. But I believe Jesus is coming soon. I remember several years ago, a couple, three years ago now, we stood there at the Basilica of St. Peter at Rome, one of the most notable places. I don't know that anybody's been saved there lately, but it's a magnificent place. Uh, it's notable, first of all, for it, it uh, stands on the place where the Emperor Nero uh, drove his chariot by night through the gardens. Uh, and you say, well, how in the world did he drive a chariot by night? Well, he took Christians and they covered them with pitch and tar and hung them on a pole and set them on fire. That's how Nero drove his chariot through there. It's also notable for its chief architect and builder, Michelangelo. The triumphs of sculpture and painting, it's, it's magnificent. It's notable for its vastness of its area, construction. There's a statue of Peter there that is slick because people have come by over centuries and kissed that statue. It's completely slick. It's also notable for its great golden dome. It's surmounted by the cross. If your traveler comes from the north, he sees a cross. From the south, he sees a cross. From the east, he sees a cross. From the west, he sees a cross. And then at the bottom of that, uh, a plaque, it says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hmm. Now that's in Matthew I remember as Becky and I were sitting there, I, I thought of this one verse. I said, there's one other verse that they ought to add to that, and that's verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon and said, we found the Messiah. Now here's the bottom line. Without Andrew, there would be no Peter. If Andrew hadn't come forward and found Jesus, there would be no Peter. <laughs> 400 years, it's been silent. God's not spoken. There's been no prophecy. John the Baptist comes on the scene, preparing the way of the Lord. And uh, th that's our motto here at Woodland Hills. I hope you'll never forget it. I hope you'll burn it in your mind. We're preparing people for the coming Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can't prepare to meet him unless you, first of all, get saved. You've got to invite Christ in you. Admit you're a sinner. Invite him to take over your heart and your life and make him Lord of your life. That's preparing you for the coming Lord. But many of you in this place are already prepared for the coming Lord. You've just kind of lost your enthusiasm. It's been plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. And what you need to really get ready for the coming of the Lord. See, when the Lord comes, listen, don't, don't write down who else you might need to talk to because it'll be too late. You need to prepare for the coming of the Lord now, right now. These folks should have been prepared. 400 years, there's not a word. The Old Testament prophecies, all of the ceremonies that were not finished, they all pointed toward a Messiah that was coming. They should have been ready for the arrival of Jesus. They ought to have been hungry. They ought to have been prepared. But they weren't. 
John's already told him, I'm not the son of God. I don't even, I, I can't even lace his shoes. I, uh, listen, the one coming after me is preferred above me. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one we've been looking for there. Verse 36, looking upon Jesus. Th- those words, looking upon, in the Greek literally mean gazing or casting our eyes on not taking our eyes off of that whatsoever. You see, the day before when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The Holy Spirit there was, was the, the dove, and the Father spoke. So this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was an announcement. But now on this day, when he says, Behold the Lamb, he's telling his disciples that had followed him, it's not announcing anymore. I'm telling you, follow Jesus. He's the one. You followed me all this time. That's good. But behold the Lamb of God. I want you to look at Jesus the way I look at Jesus. I want you to be fascinated by Jesus the way I'm fascinated by Jesus. I want you to gaze on Jesus the way I'm gazing. I want you to fix your eyes on him. I want you to be focused on him. You followed me for a while, but the Lamb of God is here. Follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. John the Baptist is here. Andrew is here. John is here. Andrew first findeth his own brother Simon. Here's old Andrew, lost as a goose, undone, on his way to hell, and he meets Jesus. Wow. It was so good he had to find somebody else. Hmm. We sing all these wonderful songs. God is good all the time. Isn't that good song? That's great. We sing, we've heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. But listen, the best day in your life and the best day in my life is when we came to Jesus Christ. Is when we realized our baptism didn't have anything to do with our salvation. Our church didn't have anything to do with our salvation. Our denomination didn't have anything to do with our salvation. Our religion didn't have anything to do. The government didn't have anything to do. Socialism didn't have anything to do. Religion didn't wealth didn't it was all Jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ all my hope is in Jesus whoo it was the best day of that would you agree it was the best day of your life now I'm preaching to me because that's a loaded statement right there would you agree it was the best day of my life in your life then who have you brought to Jesus huh I mean, if it's the best thing ever happened to us, and you're telling me that we haven't brought anybody to Jesus? I believe with all my heart, this COVID-19 is nothing but the devil. (laughs) This church, man, we had planned, we had prayed, we were going to pay this children's building off, and we're still going to. We got one big Sunday coming in July, July the 12th. Save your money. Save your pennies. Uh, forget about the pennies. Bring the tens and twenties and hundreds. And we're going to pay that debt off. But this COVID-19 messed all that up. 
We had four grow teams that we already had planned. We had four chairmen that were exciting, thrilling. They were going to build four teams. We were going to have 20 to 30 people a week go out and visit and share Christ with people all over this neighborhood. And COVID-19 messed it all up. But I'm just wondering this morning, isn't there some folk in this place that would say, Preacher, I hate the devil so much, and I love Jesus so much, that I'll covenant with you, and myself and you covenant together to bring one person by the end of this summer. Just one. You don't need a prayer list with 15 people. You need one. Who's your one? Without Andrew, there'd be no Peter. So who is your one? Who would it be? You see, I, I found what I was looking for in Jesus. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Did you find what you were looking for in Jesus? Well, then we ought to go to step two. We need to go find our Simon and tell him about it or tell her about it. Let's just examine this. He said, first of all, look unto Christ. John is telling him that. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, this is God's Son. It's deity. He's all power. He's all knowing. He always has been. He always will be. But the focus on John the Baptist was not to look at the Godhead. The focus of John the Baptist was to look upon the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world. We'll get to that in a minute. They were, where they're situated here are sheep. And the sheep are probably bleeding in the background. And John is saying this, hey, you see all these sheep here and everything, that's all great. But here is the lamb who taketh away the sins of the world. He's not here to entertain us. He's not here to, honestly, he's not here to pat us on the back and encourage us. The reason Jesus came was to die. That's what he came for. So he said, Behold Christ. Listen, you will never be concerned about your brother or anyone else until, first of all, you fall in love with Jesus. Behold the Lamb. Behold Christ. And then secondly, he said, Behold the Lamb that takes away our sin, the sin of the world. You see, when you follow Jesus, he changes your life. You, listen, you can't just follow him all the time for catfish and hush puppies. There's got to come a time when you get beyond that. See, in John 6, they were so thrilled with the, how the Lord provided supper for them that they neglected the Lord himself. Boy, sometimes we get like that. When you come to church, you ought to get something out of it. I mean it. You ought to get something out of it. I don't care how dead the preacher is or how dry he is or how crazy he is. You ought to get something out of church. There ain't no need to come in if you're not going to get something out of it. You need to get something out of it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, they followed him. You remember the day when you met Jesus face to face? You remember wandering around and slave to religion, trying to do right, trying to give enough money, trying to do enough good works, tossing and turning at night, scared to die? Some of you in this place this morning, you think you're too low down. You think you've messed up too many, too many times. You think there are too many mistakes. 
John is saying here, you've heard me preach and you've followed me, but the lamb is here now. I said the lamb is here. So you follow the lamb. There's nothing greater than grace. You may be here this morning and you're low down, messed up. You've got some embarrassing things in the past. Your record is 0 for 10. Sin may go from the tip of your toes all the way to the top of your head. But the good news is there's a God who came to die for your sin. And if you repent of that sin, he'll save you. Behold the lamb. Take away the sin of the world. And then the little phrase, he said, come and see. In verse 38, Jesus turned and saw him following and said unto them, what, what seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And he said, come and see. Now they had never met him. These two men haven't. They had never spoken to him. And yet they knew he was their master. <laughs> Can we just do a little gut check here this morning? You know why we're not winning more people to Jesus and bringing them to the house of God? Because he's not our master. Oh, we say he is. But if he was our master, he would determine where we go. He would determine how we act. He would determine what we read. He would determine what we wear. <laughs> Amen? Amen? I mean, he... We want him to be our Savior. Ooh, we're going to, ooh, well, on that day of judgment, we're going to call on him. But I want to tell you, he deserves the place of master in our life. And you can tell me until you're blue in the face. I believe the souls of men, women, and children, and young people are more important than anything this world's got to offer, money or financially. And I believe those souls are so important that that ought to be our first task as a church. It ought to be our first task as an individual that we tell people about Jesus Christ. Amen. When I met him, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, he was not only good enough to save me, he's good enough to lead me. Nobody wants to walk by faith anymore. I know that. Hey, it's tough walking by faith. It is. You ever want to talk to somebody and they just dish you? <laughs> Uh, I love that word. Ah, hmm. uh, wouldn't give you the time of day. I mean, you maybe it was some big shot you went up to, and they wouldn't even look at you. Wouldn't give you the time of day. I'm so thankful that when I came to Jesus, he didn't say, son, you're too dirty. He didn't say, son, you're not important enough. And, and let me just buzz in here just for a moment and add this. I won't charge you for this. One thing COVID-19 has done, it is has put children and youth and adults all in the same place. Now, I'm not saying that's always good because I want to tell you something. Kids learn more at children's church than they do in here listening to a preacher. I know that. But we've, we've been forced to put everybody together. And we old people need to understand something. These children are important. You need to encourage them. You need to smile. Can you imagine a little kid this high looking up at some of y'all in your faces? 
Put a smile on your face. Give them a high five. Shake hands. No, you can't shake hands with them. That's against the rules. But at least encourage them. Listen, if you've got kids here and they're unruly, turn them loose. They ain't going to hurt nobody. We see one of them sliding down the rail. It won't hurt anything. That rail's been slid down before. Our children are important. I wish I had time to talk about how Charles Haddon Spurgeon got saved. I wish I had time to talk about how D.L. Moody got saved. I wish I had time to talk about William Carey, the, the great missionary to India, how he got saved. It's because older people would put their hand on them. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, when he was six years old, an old preacher laid hands on him and said, you're going to be great for God. Wow. Let me get back to where we was. <laughs> he didn't say, when I said, Lord, I need you. He didn't say, you're too dirty. He didn't say, you got too much sin. He didn't say, I don't have time for you. He opened his arms and said, come and see. And he still says the same thing today. These folk had walked where Jesus walked. They had sat with Jesus. They'd spent the whole day with him. And, and, and I think old Andrew said, my soul, this is good. I mean, everybody ought to have experience. I, my brother would love this. And so he goes, what a mighty God we serve. And then he went to find Simon. He said, uh, don't get your hopes up now, Simon. But we may have found the Messiah. It could be. I want you to come with me. And let's look at him and let's examine what he's doing and let's see, uh, compare it to Scripture to see if it might be the Messiah. No, that's not what he said. He went to Simon and he said, I am 100% sure we have found the Messiah. Come and see. <laughs> wow. The thirsty, he gives living water. The hungry, He's the bread of life. He's our master, Lord, King. And we don't guess it. We know it. We know it. That's the theme of the book of John. That you may believe. You may know. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I got to close. Would you tell me who else in the Bible walked on water? Besides Peter. I mean outside of Jesus. Nobody else walked on water. When Jesus asked the disciples. Who, who do men say that I am. And they gave all these answers. <clears throat> it was Peter that came back and said. Thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus said listen. Flesh and blood didn't tell you that. The father above told you that. That was Peter. Remember who preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 men saved and baptized into the church. That was Peter. On the Mount of Transfiguration, there was Peter. On the Garden of Gethsemane, there was Peter. At Jairus' house, when they, uh, the rest of them except James and John couldn't go in, there was Peter right there at his house. If you look toward the end of the New Testament, you'll find two books, First and Second Peter there, that he wrote. 
You read every list in your Bible where the disciples were named, and you're going to find Peter's name at the beginning of every list. If there were not an Andrew, there wouldn't be a Peter. Who's your one? Man, the one you've got may be the very one that's going to be the next Billy Graham. God only knows how we need some. The one you've got may be the next one that's going to be Lottie Moon or Annie Armstrong. God knows we need missionaries, church planners. Our church roles, the surveys tell us, continue to go down. In the state of Texas, more than 18 million people, more than half of our population, have no connection with any church whatsoever. Remember when we used to be the Bible Belt? Well, the belt has lost its ring. Hmm. 50% not connected. You know, for few church members will ever think and admit that their church is dying because they, they love their church. I mean, I've been in a, hey, I'm thinking of a church right now that there's four ladies left. But they ain't going to shut the door because that's their church. Now, there'll come a day when the last one out is going to be in the coffin and they turn out the light and that's going to be it. In dealing with emergency crews over the years, what I've discovered is this. If someone, uh, their person, if their lifeblood is slipping away, no matter how slowly or how fast, if some action is not taken, they're going to die. The, the preferable thing to do is find out where the bleeding is and stop it and then give a transfusion to reignite it again. That's the same thing the church needs today. We need to be reignited. We need to remember that the task of this church is not social ministry. I, I, I'm, I'm all for helping people and I want to help people and we do help people. But when we help people, we tell them about Jesus. What good does it do to feed somebody and then let them go to hell the next week? We've got to tell them about Jesus. I'm all for justice. You would, you would have to have your head in the sand to know and think that in this country there's justice equal for everybody. You'd have to have your head in the sand. It's not. I, I mean, we ought to love everybody. I watched a preacher preach a funeral this week that owed $2 million in taxes. If I owed $5,000, they would already foreclosed on my house. And I'd have to move in with one of y'all. Huh? Listen, I... I I, I didn't fall off the turnip truck last night. I remember in high school, uh, my son, I bought him a new car, and this other kid run into the car. My wife can verify all that. I'm not making it up. I know preachers have to prove everything because you think we're all liars, but, I, you know, uh, uh, there was a girl there that saw the whole thing, took a picture of the, of the thing on her phone, saw everything, came and said, came to our house and said, this is who hit your son's car. They drove on off. I'd take all that down to the police. But you know what? 
He was a big shot in town. Ah, we don't have enough proof. You you know, listen, I'm not interested in justice. I thank God for mercy. The Southern Baptist Convention, our baptisms are down. There's never a week that I don't get email after email, how to grow your church. And I'm thinking, you're the very dude that couldn't even build a church, so you got a state job or denominational job, so you can tell me how to build my church. If it's all right with you, I'll just trust y'all and we'll walk by faith and do the best we can. And whatever we come out with on the other side, I'm not worried about numbers. You're not worried about numbers. I'd rather have the presence of God in this place than any numbers there are. That's what we need. The last words a person speaks are very important, usually. (laughs) Jesus said this. He said, all power is given unto me. He said, now, boys, gather around the bed real close because I'm going to give it to y'all. So when you come up to me and say, preacher, I just don't have enough courage. I just, no, 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 you've got all power. That's what Jesus said. He said, all power is given unto me, and I give it to you. Don't come up here telling me you ain't not strong enough. I'm telling you all power from the holy God of heaven is given to us. We've got to act on it. Move forward with it. And then he said, technically. Now, we, we do soul winning, and we try to go out two by two or three by three and all that. But if you want to get real technical, what he's really saying in Matthew 28 is as you are going, you make disciples. When you go to your workplace, you make disciples. When you go to school, you make disciples. When you go to the grocery store, you make disciples. You represent Christ everywhere you go. That's the way to change the world. Without Andrew, there would be no Simon Peter. Who have you got? Who's your one? Just one. You got all of July, all of August. Who's your one? Father, mm, how we need you. Lord, we don't take this lightly. It's not flippantly. Because, Lord, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. I'm not saying it's easy. But, oh, God, would you give us the grace and the words to speak to those who need you as their Savior before they go into eternity and be lost forevermore. Father, please, today, if there's a soul here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, oh God, may today be their day of salvation. Maybe there are those here that need a church home. Maybe there are those that would be willing to come to this altar and say, Lord, I remember the time when I drove a bus and I worked on kids' ministry and I I did things to bring people to the house of God and I've gotten cold and I've just gotten lazy and, oh God, I need the joy of thy salvation restored unto me. Lord, would you let your will be done in every person's life that's in this auditorium today. In Jesus' name, amen.